You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We're in the book of Philippians, continuing on in uh, chapter 3. Last week, we did chapter 1, and uh, I got 2 to 11. Okay, and you can kind of like figure that out. Who the pastor, he gets like one chapter, I got, you know, 10. So, but the theme of the book of Philippians, and he talked about it last week with joy, and I kind of added my own little twist to it, joy in any and every circumstance. And... uh he talked about that last week, and, and one of the scriptures that he shared was, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I don't know, I'm, I'm going to try and be a little honest, is that joy is probably not the first thing that comes to my mind during the week. And uh, this morning when I got up, I woke up at 3 o'clock because I couldn't sleep. Then I went back to sleep. I had this, the weirdest dream, kind of like a stupid, the stupidest dream. And uh, then I got up and looked at my notes. And then when I went to print it, the printer didn't want to print the papers. So I'm, I don't know how you guys are. I'm like thinking about breaking the printer. You know, this morning, and uh, my family, Christian, they know. I like, I used to, I actually haven't done that, in, like hit things. And machinery made out of plastic is really good, you know, to hit. I was going to throw that thing because I'm like, oh, not now. And uh, then I think I realized that the message was on joy in any and every circumstance. Um, <laughs> Which was good, you know, it's applying to me first thing in the morning. The book of Philippians was written by Paul when he was in prison. And it seems wild that he would be writing, the main theme of the book is about joy in a place that probably the least joyous place that anybody could be in. Definitely not a place where you would easily have a good attitude. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's a really challenging scripture. Right? And I'm sure everybody you're probably thinking about, maybe this week was, was a really challenging week. Or maybe the last month or something going on. Right, and almost like a foreign concept or, or something that you're like, man, that would be awesome if, if I could believe that. Today, I'm going to talk about how we can have that joy. And Paul is going to be explaining it here that the means for us to have joy in any and every circumstance is in a deeper relationship 
with Christ. And not just a surface level. To the degree that we know him intimately will be the determining factor to our having joy in any circumstance. So the more we know him, the more we will be able to do that. The less we know him, the more challenging it's going to be. And I'm going to cover today um, two of Paul's goals because he uses himself as the example. One is having a relationship with the Lord that grows deeper and deeper. And the second one is what he does to reach that goal. So let's uh, read, if we all would, uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, that your word speaks to our hearts. Lord, that you speak into our challenges, into our victories. Lord, and we thank you for your grace in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start off on verse 8. And I'm going to say that this is our main verse today, verse 8. And he says, what is more, more or more than that, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And I want to read that in a couple different versions. Um, the second one is New Living. It says there that, yes, everything else is worthless 
when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may gain Christ. And in the New English translation, more than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ. Now in verses, he starts off in verses 2 to 6, he kind of has this, seem like pretty radical exhortation for the church, giving them warning, right? And uh, pretty gnarly. And he's telling them to beware of those that are trying to mislead them, where? To forsake kind of the freedom that they have in Christ, right? And to be dependent on like a surface, shallow, works-based religion. A quote that I read was that ritual cannot save. Ritual cannot save. And Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, and this is my paraphrase of that scripture. It says that I wrote that it is by the grace of God that we are saved through our response in faith to accept God's provision of Jesus Christ and this not from our efforts, it is a gift of God, not by anything we can or need to do so that no one can boast. That's our salvation. That Jesus did it all. Right? And what goes on in verse 10, he says that we are God's handiwork or masterpiece created in new in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it isn't like, that doesn't mean we don't have to do anything. What it does mean, right, and I have here, if you want to do works, then these are the works that God is calling us to do. These are the works that God is pleased with, the ones that he has planned for us. And the ones that we're supposed to walk in, not the ones that we make up for ourselves, trying to win favor with him. Okay, that's kind of the whole gospel in a nutshell. And, and actually, in my consideration of this, is like salvation doesn't stop the day you raise your hand or come forward or get on your knees or whatever you did. That one day, the day of conversion. That salvation is continual. It lasts all the way up until you end up in heaven. When you're in heaven, then it'll be complete. Okay? So every day, we need to be saved. Right? Sometimes we know it. We're like, Lord, if you don't save me now, man, I'm not going to make it. Right? Salvation is always there. Why was Paul so harsh about these guys? And I believe it's because that's where he came from. That was him. Right? He was that person that he's warning them, look, beware of these guys. 
Because they're going to lead you astray. They're going to lead you down a road that's not the road that God's on. His def- he says that about be- having confidence in the flesh had to do, his confidence had to do with his upbringing. That he, Paul grew up in the church. Right? He was one of the leaders. He was a direct descendant. He says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he had the background. His education, he went to Bible college under one of the, the most popular rabbis. His position as a Pharisee, one of the, or the most elite religious sects. He says of his performance before God that he was blameless in following the traditions and regulations. And his zeal for his religion, he says, that led him to be compelled to do what? To persecute the church. So that was his background. And if you know on that one day on the road to Damascus when he was going to arrest Christians, that he saw the light, literally. And Jesus spoke to him and his life was changed. That was what he was before. And what he's writing here is what he is now. Paul's present goal is what? He says, the surpassing value of knowing Christ deeper. That's his present goal. The three scriptures, verse 7, he says that whatever were gains or assets to me, Before I was a Christian, I now consider loss. Verses 8 and 9, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Literally, he's in prison, he lost everything. Right? His title, his standing, but he lost all his possessions. If you remember that one scripture where he asked, uh, one of the guys, Timothy or somebody, bring the cloak. He had nothing. The first thing he says, and my first point, is knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing him intimately from experience, not just from a distance or not just book knowledge. Now, the n- knowing God is knowing him. Like a person, like I know him. Like you can read stuff about people, right? You can read a biography. You can see the movie and you kind of know that person, but that's not like knowing the person personally. And that's what he's talking about here. We need to know him intimately in every area of our lives. And for that, he needs to have access and control over every area of our lives. Now, uh, as I was writing this, I was kind of thinking about Winter and I. And, uh, not kind of, I definitely was thinking about her and I. (laughs) And we have been, her and I, we've been married for 43 years. Hey. Miracles happen. (laughs) But you know what? This last probably couple of weeks, you know, and you can talk to her about it, that uh, we've kind of entered into 
like really worked on our marriage, you know, what our relationship, right? Where we, she came up with all the good ideas and I went along with it. <laughs> I'm getting smarter. You know, we pray together, right? Or we had some pretty long talks, okay? And good, not bad. And kind of sorted a bunch of stuff out, right? And we're like cuddling at night and holding hands, and she sits next to me, and, you know, I'm uh, on my best behavior, the whole deal. Which... I'm just saying that because, you know what, after 43 years, it's not like we got it down. We're still learning how to love each other. Okay, and I guess what I'm talking about here, the relationship with Christ is similar. Is that it's a lifelong process. That's why in the ceremony, till death do you part, because it's going to take that long and you still <laughs> probably, you know what I mean? Right? Just a little joke I'll tell you, just because I'm there. Um, I heard this thing by Ruth Graham. Anybody know who Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife? Okay? And uh, somebody was interviewing her, and they asked her, well, in all those years that he was on the road and gone from the house and the whole deal, all of this, did you ever consider divorce? And she told this person interviewing her, murder, yes, but never divorce. <laughs> A deepening relationship with Christ is desired over stale religion. And you know what, just using that example, that's what can happen, right? Same thing in a relationship, and even if you're not married with your friends. Who's, who's the person you're going to most easily take for granted? It's probably your mate or your kids, right, or your best friend or somebody in your, you know what I mean? The people closest to you is the ones that you're going to take for, you're going to neglect. And it's no different with the Lord. And that's why we have to continually keep up with him. Because he, I'll tell you, you know that he doesn't move away. We're the ones that get distracted in other things and move away. Sometimes it's easier to give him our money or part of our time, or have a conversation now and then, or drop, in a note, drop him a note to let him know we're doing okay. Right? It's easy in our relationship with Christ, what was in the beginning, maybe when we first became a believer, was like the honeymoon. And then later on, then you like, can't put the paper down to listen to what they're saying, or they're, you know what I'm saying? But you know what? Same thing with the Lord. That's, it's easier to do that than to maybe really try to dig deep in our relationship with him.
Paul says that he counts all other things as loss. Right? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I'm not going to be here this morning to tell you, okay, it's a message. we got to start get rid- getting rid of stuff. I remember when I was first a Christian, one of my friends, Frank, who's like, if you know him, this is the guy that's going to do it. He came up with this big idea that we had all these idols and uh, we needed to make a bonfire on the beach and burn them. And I'm not, don't do this because it's stupid. But we did it, right? So whatever, like your records and, you know, other stuff that you thought, you know, were worthless. And then we brought them down to the beach and burned them all. And then later on when I grew up, then I'm like, that was, didn't do anything but make for a nice fire. So I'm not here to tell you that. That this is what this is about. What is he saying? Considering as loss anything that is a liability or a hindrance or a distraction to the goal of gaining more of Christ. That's what he's talking about. And that's what I'm talking about. In Acts chapter 27, verses 16 to 20, you can turn there. I'm not going to read it. I'll just tell you the story. Paul is on his way to Rome, and he's on a ship. And they're sailing over there, if you know the story, and they run into a huge storm. And so gnarly, days and days and days, they're fully, like, panicking. And... In the two verses, and I'll read this part, verses 18 and 19, it says there that we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. So what's the cargo? Everything that they were sailing over to take over there, right? The toilet paper, the, you know, all of that kind of stuff, wherever they were going, the cargo. They're so panicked that they threw that all overboard to lighten the ship. On the third day, another day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So all the heavy pieces that make the ship run, they threw that overboard. And I love that story because that's the picture. The ship is going to go down. And in their desperation, what did they do? Everything that's weighing it down, they throw overboard. Right? It's taking in water, and something's got to go out. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us here. He is saying for him, nothing is going to get in the way of his goal of knowing Christ more. He won't be distracted. His love and loyalty won't be divided between other things. He won't be half-hearted in his devotion to Christ. He won't give half-hearted, half-effort in his pursuit of Christ. Nothing will be more important. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there in any relationships. Right, And it takes complete, that's what he's saying here. He's encouraging us to have 
complete focus on this. What do you need to throw order overboard? What is a liability or a distraction from you having a deeper relationship with Christ? And I wrote like a little list for us. Material things, worldly possessions, financial, right? Money. Maybe those things can be a distraction. Positional. Maybe our title. Maybe our standing where we were. Some position that we want to hang, hang on to. Relational. Maybe some friends. Right? Um, I have here self-love, which is one that probably is pretty true. Emotional. Maybe there's some fears or anxieties or failures or doubts. Or maybe our pride, self-sufficiency, that needs to go over. In verse 8, he says, of, talks of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, at, in my family, I have Christian who plays the box up here and uh, um, two daughters. And winter. And they all have at times accused me of being a hoarder. <laughs> Any hoarders here? Now I'm the only one in this whole room. How can that be? You guys are in, somebody's in denial in this group. Okay, but okay. My idea of that, and maybe, maybe it's a hoarder is kind of like the wrong, maybe you're like a collector. Is any collectors here? <laughs> right? I'm a collector. And uh, my, in my mind, it's like, I might need that later. Anybody like that? You know what I'm saying? The plastic fork, throw it, no, I might need that later. Right? There's no end to what you might leave. And you know, how many people, like, when you get rid of it, is actually, that's when you need it. Right? As long as you have it, you never need it. Or, I like that thing. Winter is, like, number one. Right? Like, hey, you need to get rid of this thing. I'm like, why get rid of your stuff? Why you always want to get rid of my stuff? Right? Or, I've had it a long time, why should I get rid of it now? Right? After it's been like 10 years, you never used it, but then you can't get rid of it because you've had it so long. It's like, I know tomorrow's going to be the day. Why would you want to throw anything overboard? It all comes down to value. Right? Value. Giving up something of lesser value to gain something of more. Right? And I'm like totally into that too. Right? If you like trade up, you trade something. You know, I trade you this bike for the surfboard and the surfboard is better than the bike. So you're like super stoked. <laughs> How much value do we put on our relationship with Christ? Value. That's how you know what to put aside and what to keep. 
the most valuable thing is what you hang on to. Okay, and I hope that it's the Lord. The apostle says that nothing is more valuable to him than to gain more and more of Christ. And until we do that, we won't have the joy of the Lord as our strength in every situation. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees in Luke 16, he says, you cannot serve two masters. For them it was money, right? Gaining money. Either you will love the one and hate the other. You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people highly value in this world is detestable in God's sight. Consider that. What's highly valued in the world is detestable in God's sight. Isn't that true? 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, it says here, For for though we live as human beings, we do not wage spiritual battle according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God. And what are those weapons for? He says here, for the tearing down of strongholds. Anybody have ever met a stronghold in their life? We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. Anybody ever have like thoughts that needed to be taken captive and put under, you know, the Lord? Conclusion, pursue a deeper relationship with Christ. Allow him access and authority over every area of your life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I don't know if it's, it's up there, but this is actually a combination of two different translations. Okay, so um, if some of it doesn't look like the one. It's, it's actually half New English translation and half uh, Christian standard. Okay, but Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says here, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? And that was from Hebrews 11, all the, all the guys of faith in Hebrews 11. We must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. And a quote that I got, this guy said, if we truly believe in our reward in heaven, that our reward in heaven far surpasses all the comforts and conveniences and all the collections of this world, we too would consider them lost for the sake of gaining Christ. And lastly, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And the first part of this is, is really well known. 
Okay, not sure how well known the second part is. But it says here, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. God speaking and he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's our challenge today is to seek the Lord with all of our heart. And all those other things, the distractions and everything. You know what? And some of those things aren't bad things necessarily. But if they're sharing the place where Christ is supposed to be, then they need to get off. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. and Lord, that you never leave us as we are. Lord, that you are gracious. Lord, that you are continually making us more and more like you. Lord, you know our hearts better than we know them. Lord, you know where this applies and where it doesn't. Lord, and I do pray that all of us here would search our hearts. Lord, and we would listen intently to you. Lord, and anything that is a distraction is anything that's taking our attention, attention that should be given to you. Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.